Okay. Every disciple is a believer, but every believer is not necessarily a disciple. Josh's songs this morning talk were based on the church. Well, in the first century church, there were men and women that we sang about this morning, and they were empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they were motivated by the Holy Spirit. They were involved in things like prayer, worshiping, just singing and edifying each other. They were loving and they were giving and they shared their faith. These are the activities uh, that Jesus taught them, the example that he left. Uh, they were emulating Jesus, basically. So I want to look at some syn words that are synonymous with uh, emulate. Copy, mirror, echo, follow, imitate, model. Uh, and this is what these people did. They modeled themselves after Jesus. Jesus was a teacher. He was their teacher. And so we call them disciples. That's what they were. A disciple is a, a learner. We come here for Bible class. We come here for to hear preaching. Uh, when we sing to each other, um, we're learning. We're teaching each other. Uh, so we're pupils. And when we come here, hopefully, we come here to be taught. Okay, we're open to that. And as a disciple, the learning is not passive. We're not passive listeners. Um, we listen with attention, and we listen with intention. Those things are important. We have to have like an intense desire uh, to apply what we've learned. And I mean, if you've done anything in life, if you've had any kind of activity that you were really into, that you really loved, you come there with, you know, the desire to really learn. And not only to learn, but to take what you've learned and go out and apply it in some kind of way. And the scriptures are no different. The teaching of Jesus is no different. Matter of fact, it should be that times, I don't know, 70 times 7, uh, Uber, I don't know. Um, you attach a number to it. Um, in Luke 14, uh, verses 25 through 35, um, Jesus kind of lays out the requirements of discipleship, being his disciple. Okay. Now, earlier, uh, before Jesus uh, gave this uh, teaching here, Jesus had shown that the message of the gospel was for everyone. And the gospel is an inclusive thing. It is for everyone. But after that, uh, he began to expose uh, the religious hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Um, and he became very, very popular. There were all kinds of crowds, enormous crowds, following Jesus, the man, around, listening to his teaching, listening to his sermons, watching him uh, perform miracles. 
became very popular. I think it's kind of a little bit hard for us to maybe understand or fathom uh, how big, uh, enormous, perhaps, uh, the crowd was that was following following him around. Um, but now, in uh, Luke chapter 14, he's, from what I see here, he's starting to weed out some of the people who were following him. And perhaps maybe because they were following him for wrong reasons, and maybe for some selfish reasons. Um, what would be some of those uh, negative reasons or those selfish reasons? Well, maybe some people were following him around because he performed miracles. And he wanted to be entertained by that. That'd be kind of cool, I think. You know, I, I've never, you know, I've seen, you know, magic. That's kind of intriguing, you know. Someone performs like a card trick or a magic trick or you see these these professional magicians on TV. Well, Jesus, I mean, he's performing godly miracles, okay, with purpose. And these people have probably never seen things to that extent before, healing people who were social outcasts, making them well. Uh, lepers with skin like baby skin. Um, driving out demons. So there could have been some, and there probably were some, who followed Jesus around just because it was entertaining. Oh, what's he going to do next? What's going to happen? We have to, you know, check this out. And maybe some were following him around because it was a free meal. I mean, he had fed an enormous amount of people one time after he gave uh, a sermon. So that probably got around. So, I mean, the guy is feeding people. We're hungry. Let's check him out. Could have been that. And then there were those who were seeking a military savior, uh, someone to overthrow the Roman establishments and establish God's kingdom, the, you know, the Jewish kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, like under David, like uh, under Solomon, that sort of thing. So there are people following him for various reasons. Okay, some were sincere, some might not have been sincere at all. And I think that these words here uh, in Luke 14 uh, were constructed to, with purpose, to uh, impede the uh, disingenuous and. Uh, maybe enlighten those who misunderstood what he was really teaching. But Jesus was interested in quality over quantity. So to weed out people who weren't sincere was not like a big deal. It wasn't like, well, I need all these people following me around. I need this. Uh. And this is not the first time that God has worked in this fashion. Um, if you remember back in Judges uh, chapter 7 of uh, Gideon, um, we're going to read uh, 7 verses 2 through 7. Judges, 
And the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to hand, over, hand Midian over to you. Israel might brag, my own strength has delivered us. Now announce to the men, whoever is shaking with fear may turn around and leave Mount Gilead. 22,000 men went home, 10,000 remained. The Lord spoke to Gideon, Gideon again, there's still too many men. Bring them down to the water and I will thin the ranks some more. Then say, then I, when I say, this one, should, this one should go with you, pick him and go. When I say, this one should not go with you, do not take him. So he brought the men down to the water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, separate those who lap the water as, dog, as a dog laps from those who kneel to drink. 300 men lapped. The rest of the men kneeled to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, when the with the 300 who lapped, I will deliver the whole army and hand Midian over to you. The rest of the men should go home. Well, Gideon's army started off at 32,000, was diminished to 300. And God understood that he could do more with 300 alert and eager men, those committed, than uh, maybe 32,000 who were half-hearted. So my point is that God is uh, concerned with quality, not quantity. Quantity is, a, is how human beings look at things, uh, you know, maybe to boost their egos or give them confidence. <clears throat> now, Jesus expresses the phrase, cannot be my disciple, here in Luke 14, three times throughout uh, the discourse. And Jesus is, is maybe clarifying some consummate requirements for discipleship. Okay. Um, I see four uh, pronounced requirements in Luke 14 for discipleship. Love, the God, love God more than anyone else. Deny self and take up your cross. Forsake all you have and count the cost. And that's what we're going to talk about here this morning, these, these uh, four, if you will, requirements. I'm going to start off Luke 14, uh, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Um, hate is the opposite of love. And the subjects that, that Jesus chose here are not really something that's easy to have an aversion to, um, like sin. It's easy to hate sinful things. But your family, I mean, that's a very honorable kind of love. Your family, okay, your brothers, your sisters. Um, this is an analogy. Jesus is pointing out that love for God is to take preeminence over all others. Even those you, you love, okay, in different ways other than agape love. Okay. 
relationships can sometimes clash with discipleship. Okay. Um, in Luke chapter 9, <clears throat> verse 59, and Jesus said to another, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus asked the person to follow him. And right off, there's conflict. There's a confliction going on here. Um, this is something we've studied time and time again. And one way that I look at this is that perhaps he's saying, wait until my parents grow old and die, <clears throat> and there will be no conflicts. Okay. And we, we study it sometimes and we look at it as he wants to go back right now. Maybe his, 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 his father had passed away and he wants to go and bury him. But another way to look at it is this man is saying, well, wait until life passes by. I don't have any complications in life. And then I can get together with you and, and follow you. So. Um, Relationships sometimes clash with our efforts to be true disciples. Okay. There's an inevitability in life uh, that that Jesus points out, uh, and that is that sometimes harmony with people is going to cause friction with God and harmony with God is going to cause friction with people. Um, and Jesus expresses this in, uh, in Matthew <clears throat> chapter 10, uh, verses uh, 34 and 35, where he says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So sometimes on our road, on our travels, on our seeking to, to be a disciple, there's going to be friction there. There's either going to be that friction with people that we know, or there's going to be friction with God, depending where you cast your stone, where you cast your lot. And Jesus is going to test our hearts as well. Okay, he did this with Abraham. Okay, um, remember what Abraham went through with his wife Sarah when they were older people, they had no children, and, and, and God made these promises to Abraham, and it was kind of like, from a human point of view, from a human standpoint, it was kind of hard to believe, and even really Sarah kind of laughed about it, you know? Uh, but finally, God blessed them with an offspring, with Isaac, and um, Isaac was precious to Abraham. And if you look at it from like a human point of view, maybe Abraham or Isaac had began to fill 
a portion in Abraham that previously God had only filled and that he'd reserved for God. And so maybe that's why God, you know, decided to test Abraham to see where his heart was really at. And well, Abraham passed this test. We know in, in Genesis 22:12, he was sent to sacrifice his son, or sent to sacrifice, and as he was traveling to sacrifice, he realized there wasn't anything, it wasn't an animal or anything, so who am I gonna sacrifice? Well, your kid, you know. But that didn't deter Abraham, as he knew that, or had faith that God would work things out. And he did. And in Genesis 22:12, do not harm the boy, the angel said. Do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God because you did not withhold your son, your only son, from me. Let's talk about the second requirement a little bit here, which is deny self and take up your cross. Um, I'm taking this from Luke 14, 27. Whoever does not carry his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Well, in Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 29, it basically says that we love ourselves. Okay, it says, no one has ever hated his own body, but feeds it and takes care of it just as Christ does the church. So we love ourselves. Okay, that's not a vain thing. Um, it's natural. And loving ourselves uh, is not the problem with denying ourselves and taking up our cross. The problem is uh, our obsession with ourselves. Okay selfishness basically and then if you combine that with uh, we have a sinful nature the Bible tells us we have a sinful nature there's several verses uh, Proverbs 20 chapter 9 Romans 3 23 1 John 1 8 all, all point to this that you know Proverbs 29 who can say I have kept my heart clean I am pure from sin Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And John 1.8, if we say we do not bear the guilt of sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth not in us. So we, we have a, a, a sinful nature. And you combine that with the fact that we can be selfish, self-centered. Um, you're going to get what happens, what, Timoth what uh, Paul describes uh, in his letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, where he says, But understand this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, slanderers without self-control, savage, opposed to what is good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, loving pleasure rather than God. They will maintain the outward appearance of religion, but will have repudiated its power. So avoid people like these. It's the opposite.
basically what a disciple should be. Um, and everybody's familiar with uh, C.S. Lewis. I uh, quote here from him. He says, the real test of being in the presence of God is that you either forget about yourself altogether or you see yourself as a small, dirty object. It's better to forget about yourself altogether. So, we need to think about, about this. It's kind of easy to get a, be kind of self-absorbed and not think about other people or kind of, kind of think about other people. Um, but it's something we need to, to think about and, and, and pray about and keep in check a little bit. In Luke 9.24, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. The word life uh, in this passage of scripture from the Greek, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this it correctly, I'm gonna say suche or suche, suche? But any mean, it means soul life. The word life translates in Greek as soul life. And that translates to our will, our ambition, our goals, and our desires. Okay, so when he's saying whoever wants to save his life, whoever wants to save his goals, his desires, his ambition, his will, uh, will lose it. But whoever loses these things for my sake will save it. So if you lose these things for the sake of Jesus, you're going to have them in one way or another. Maybe not perhaps in the form that you envision them, but they'll be yours. And how I see this is that we hand over to God those things uh, so that can, he can reveal his ambitions, his goals, his desires for our life, his plan, and his purpose for us. Okay. And when we do this, this is how I see it, uh, how I understand it. This is how one way of bearing our one's cross we bear our cross uh, and we die to self and this is the way we're doing this okay let's look at the next one in Luke uh, 14 33 in the same way therefore not one of you can be my disciple if he does not renounce all of his possessions okay the next one is forsake all that you have Okay. Um, and forsake, I think we understand what it means. Surrender, uh, say goodbye. Okay. Um, and this is kind of interesting to me because um, in the past I've had, you know, well meaning people uh, try to. To tell me, and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be contentious about it at all, but 
uh, if you miss a worship service, you're forsaking the assembly. But here, we realize, we understand that forsaking means to surrender, to say goodbye. Okay, so when we say all that we have for Jesus, this is what we're doing. Um, remember in Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 17, there was the uh, rich young ruler. Um, and in that passage of scripture, uh, uh, Jesus uh, tells him, he, he says, uh, now as Jesus was starting out on his way, someone ran up to him and fell on his knees and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay. So basically Jesus tells him that uh, you have to give up all your riches. Then you can follow me. Just give it up. Um, but Jesus is not implying that the rich young ruler should uh, take a vow of poverty. There are people in the religious world that kind of like do this. They kind of like give up everything and go off, you know. And, but Jesus is not saying this. Basically what's happening here is that Jesus can see that this man's riches is his God, okay? His riches was God to him, a lowercase God. And if Jesus had seen other things in this man, that were the equivalent of God to him, he would have asked him to give them up as well. So it's not so much about money, the man was rich, it's what he worshiped, okay? He wasn't, he wasn't willing, as we read in, you know, eventually in the passage, he was, he was sorrowful that he couldn't, couldn't bring himself to, to give those things up. Those things ruled him, that's what he, he worshiped. Um, the next one is, in, and the final one here is, is count the cost. Uh, in Luke fourteen twenty eight, for which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't sit down and first compute the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? Well, <clears throat> basically in life, and we've all known people like this, and maybe we're like this ourselves at times, some more than others, that we kind of react impulsively to things. I know I'm like that at times. I kind of, you know, see something on, on the surface and it looks right, I don't really think it through, and uh, act on impulse. And you're not considering what's ahead. You're not considering any kind of expenditure. You're not considering things like that. Uh, in Luke 9, uh, verses 57 to 58, as they were walking along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. It's the man talking to Jesus. And Jesus says to him, foxes have dens and birds uh, birds in the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now, if you look at this individual that was speaking these things to Jesus, um, he hastily volunteered for something that it seems like he kind of doesn't know the full ramifications of things. And he appears to have a good heart. 
I mean, he's willing, okay? And that's good because a lot of people aren't even willing. He was willing, but he was impulsive. He hadn't counted the cost. He didn't see, he couldn't foresee or didn't even try to see or understand what the future might bring if he was going to do what he said he was going to do, okay? Meaning that if he went ahead and did what he said, perhaps he would have turned back disillusioned, okay? He didn't comprehend what waited for him in the future. And Jesus is saying this to all of us as potential disciples. Um, counting the cost is uh, understanding that um, anything in our lives that is going to quench our desire uh, and our thirst for the word and for prayer and for doing what, what, what Jesus wants us to do is not, is not counting the cost. You're going to be disillusioned. Um, Jesus requires 100% effort. Now, when I say 100% effort, that could vary, okay? I mean, if you're healthy, you're feeling good, 100% is going to mean one thing. If you're sick, if you're ill, if something, you know, 100%, your 100% might be different. But what Jesus wants is 100% commitment. He wants us to, to, to give our all uh, to him. What I what I what I found kind of ironic, kind of unique in 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 studying this is that we as disciples, as a church, we want people. Uh, we want people to to come to come and to understand and to commit. Okay, we're not going to say things to people that in and of themselves it's going to discourage someone from, from wanting to do that. But Jesus puts it here, he puts it on the table. He says, these are the things that I want. If you can't, if you're not up to that, well, you're just not, okay? Um, but we have to understand as, 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 as Christians that the fruits of discipleship can manifest itself in different ways. And I think the key is to let God use our talent and our skill, those talents and skills that he's blessed us with in a way that he sees fit, okay? One might not approach things the same way as another, okay, in terms of how you're, God's using, I mean, Josh this morning was, was talking about, um, I would have never known it if he didn't mention it, but he's saying he feels uncomfortable leading songs. There are people that, Tim didn't look uncomfortable this morning when he was leading the song. He looked like very comfortable doing it, okay? People have different talents, different skills, different personalities, and God uses that in different ways, okay? But you have to be open to letting God uh, use you, the talent that he, and skill that he's, he's blessed you with. Um, and I think that just want to finish things off to illustrate that point and read from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 
verses uh, 5 through 9. This is Paul. He says, What is Apollos, really? Or what is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe. And each of us in the ministry the Lord gave us. I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused it to grow. So neither the one who plants counts for anything, nor the one who waters, but God who causes the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters work as one, but each one will receive his reward according to his work. We are co-workers belonging to God. You are God's field and God's building. 